0: Welcome to College and Career Reimagined, a podcast created by the Center for Equity and Postsecondary Attainment. This podcast is designed to provide listeners with cutting edge research and best practices, including tips and tools needed to implement equity-based career development and postsecondary readiness for students in the K-16 educational system. Your hosts are Dr. Laura Owen, founder and co-director, along with Dr. Camilla, director of the center. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. This is Deanna.
1: And this is Laura. We're so excited to be joined today by Alicia Oglesby and Rebecca Atkins. And we'd like to give you both a moment to introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, thanks for having
2: us. It's Exciting to be here. My name is Alicia Oglesby. I'm Associate Director of College Counseling at a private independent school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I am a certified high school counselor. I love high school counseling. I want to stay in high school counseling. (laughs) Um, And I'm excited to talk to you all today about some of my insights um, and some of my experience.
3: And I'm Rebecca Atkins. I am the director of school counseling in the Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools, which is in North Carolina. And I have worked in central office um, about eight years now, and I love working in central office. I know that's not something you often hear people say, but I like to be the person that people know they can count on when they're in a difficult situation at their school. And I always say that I get to sit around and talk about school counseling all day, and so I must be the luckiest person.
0: Well, I think just to get us started, sort of think about your work because you're very you're in very different spaces, Mm -hmm. but I know you do work uh, quite often together.
2: So if you want to share a little bit about how you guys and I'm not sure it was so long ago. I'm not sure exactly how we we decided or made the decision that we were going to, I guess, involve each other in our professional lives but I remember Rebecca asking me if I ever presented before and I think I said no and you know she pretty much presented me with but I took a risk I guess and she definitely took a risk and we you know submitted a proposal um to present in New Orleans and it's that was 2016 yeah. can you believe it It feels like forever ago, like we've known each other for decades, Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that was the initial contact. Yeah. And then we,
3: um, actually were, uh, approached about writing our book. I remember feeling like, are you sure? I don't really think I'm an expert. I just signed up to do one hour presentation, like, and the, Editor at the time, he was very much like, you know, we want that practitioner's lens rather than having someone who was an expert. And I would still never say that I'm an expert. I, I do feel like I'm an expert in school counseling after 20 years, but I would never call myself an equity expert. But that practitioner lens, I think, is really practical. And when they spoke of it that way, it thought, okay, well, actually, maybe we can do this. So we actually wrote the whole book on Google Docs because we've always lived apart. We've never lived close enough to see each other on a regular basis. And we both have kids and, you know, like our daughters are pretty close in age. And so like we're doing kids stuff in the evenings. And so a lot of it is like comments on Google Docs and text messages and emails and not even necessarily phone calls Met halfway between our houses and had like a writer's retreat, and honestly, I think that was maybe like the second or third time we'd ever seen each other in person. Yeah. And so we got like a two bedroom air. It was like not a nice Airbnb. <laughs> like I got there before her, and the door didn't lock all the way, and I thought, oh god. Go. So they sent someone out to fix it, and I thought, I I'm staying here by myself anyway. I'm, I digress, but it was it was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. But we just like. I think the great thing about Alicia and I is that we just have immediately connected. Alicia's in high school. I'm white. She's black. I mean, we have a, she's from the North. I'm from the South. Like we have a lot of things that are sort of um, flip sides of each other, but, but fit together nicely and, and make a whole that we can speak from different experiences. Um, and we also just genuinely enjoy one another. So I always look forward to conference. Cause that's like our reunion. Once a year reunion. Um, <laughs> We just have like a good time and whenever we, we get on these things, you we, you can see we have a moment where we're like, hey, friend!" because we're excited to see one another.
0: I, I totally get that. We have, uh, I think Laura and I have similar uh, experiences where Google Docs is like the best thing on earth. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely could understand and even our experiences are very different, but at the same time, there is a commonality in how we view things and approach our work. So I, I definitely could uh, understand that. I'm interested to hear a little bit about what are some of those similar ideas that relate to equity and social justice work, especially in the realm of school counseling. I
2: would definitely say we have a supportive school environment and what that looks like for students, some of our ideas about the day-to-day decisions, the language that is used in schools, we definitely see eye to eye on. And I can I can remember very specific conversations that conversations that we have had over the years. Um, when I'm describing a situation with a student, or Rebecca's describing a situation with a student, and how the school system, how the adults in the building did or didn't support equity work, did or didn't respond to a student or a family in a just way, in a just manner. And we've talked about this and and we often, you know, when we're in our casual moments or we're at conference, we'll be telling each other these stories and we're nodding. We're like, yes, yes. And we're just on the same page. And I think that that is confirmation for both of us that, we view equity work, we view inclusion work that is very student-centered and that is very much focused on how we can adjust, dismantle, reframe certain systems for our students. And I think when you have that perspective as an educator, as a school counselor, the, the day-to-day behaviors and conflicts. And, you know, student issues and academic issues are just viewed slightly different than, you know, folks who don't necessarily understand or apply that equity work. And I won't, you know, I won't talk about situations specifically because they involve real people and and real situations and real lives. But I think that time and time again, that confirms how Rebecca and I view this work very similarly. I don't know if you would. Add something to that. No, I totally agree. I think I think also that we see that that
3: as a school counselor, this is the work. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not doing equity work as a school counselor, you're literally not doing your job description. That is the work. And so it yes, exactly. Like you cannot separate the two. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. And once you see it and you can't unsee it, you have an ethical obligation to act.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like I've heard the the saying, right? Uh, once you know better, you yeah. do better, and yeah. you can't go back. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But for our audience right now who's listening that maybe is thinking, what does this mean? You know, as you're talking about really thinking about your work as an educator through a social justice lens, through an equity lens, where do you start? Where do you, where do you start as a practitioner who's saying, I, you know, I, w- I want to change my practice or I want to make sure that I'm doing this the right way. Like I, what would your suggestion be to someone who's coming to this new or coming for a refresher or wanting to check if they're on target with what they should be doing? This Um, would love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, I guess
3: I would start with like listening to the voices of your students and your families and your teachers and observe, observe, observe what you see happening. I'm brand new to the district where I'm working. I've worked after being in one district for almost 19 years. I now I'm in a new district. I've worked here for like three months. So I am trying to figure literally everything out. But in a way, it's it's a great opportunity to see things as they are without all that historical knowledge going into it. And so whether you're at your a new place, or you're just new to the work, try to look at it with that fresh lens of here, here is what is happening. How does that impact different groups of students, different groups of parents? You know, we talk a lot about racism. There's also other isms that we could be paying attention to thinking about our students with disability, thinking about our students where that are uh, English language learners. So, I mean, I think all of that is important. We've picked one part to talk about, but it's all there and just make observations. And then the, the, what I always tell people, the very first thing, if you've done nothing else, is to read your school school improvement plan, because some group of people sat down and said, these are the most important things. And unless your school really has not begun equity work at all, you probably have something in there about closing opportunity gaps, about different subgroups of students. And so that's a great place to start. If you don't know where to start, look at it and read it with your school counselor hat. And that's your data. That's like your hard information. And then you add your qualitative kind of the story of what's happening listen to the voices of your marginalized groups particularly and then start to piece together a picture of what's really happening because you really can't make a change unless you understand where you are
2: yeah I totally agree that context is everything right so some of the you know Urban schools that Rebecca might be working with and leading might have completely different needs or drastically different um, goals in mind than my urban school in Pittsburgh. So it's that context is everything. And I, I generally of, often suggest school counselors start with, like Rebecca said, observing um, their school and the people there and believing the students' and the family's experiences, their lived experiences, not um, minimizing those experiences, but truly listening and, and seeing where where those thoughts and, and where those perspectives are coming from.
0: A couple of things that I'm thinking about, and, and I want to be able to sort of shift a little bit, but not so much, because I, w- I also want to capitalize on the fact that we I think we're all practitioners here, right? Like the, the four of us have been practitioners and have lived in different spaces. We have had to look at our work from different priorities, right? And, and so someone from the district versus someone who is at a school site. And I'm just curious if we can talk a little bit about the current state of college and career readiness and what that might look like when we think about equity
2: work from either a district perspective because there is a lot that's changing nationally or that's you know expected to change a lot has changed over the last three years um, I certainly advise differently now than I did when I started 10 years ago and so I mean I could I could go in a million different directions with with this question because, the the world of college admission and, and post secondary planning is vast and I think that there are so many different priorities. There are priorities of my school and my school's administration, there's priorities within the city of Pittsburgh, there's priorities within the state of Pennsylvania. There are, you know, directives that we're receiving from Local businesses and local universities and, you know, programs and pipelines that all of these different people want to create in the midst of, you know, some, some very real and is going to unfold for the future based on a Supreme Court decision um, and how that impacts race in the admissions process and tons and tons of people having no idea what that actually means but being the loudest in the room. So there's so there's so much that's that's happening, but I think what is always hopeful for me is the network of colleagues that I have, the network and the supports that I have in place, people that I can turn to to say, well what are you doing in your district about this or, you know, how are you making changes based on this this new law or these new laws that are coming, you know, coming down the road, but having that support network and having colleagues who I can turn to and discuss these things with and think through these things with absolutely impacts my practice. And I think that's something that we have to be careful of because sometimes, you know, school counselors are singletons and we're in schools by ourselves and we might not necessarily have that network it's so important to create. It's, I mean, it's really one of the primary reasons why I'm able to continue to do this work and do this work effectively is because I surround myself with people who are knowledgeable and who I can have conversations with um, about the work and who understand the way it impacts our work similarly. So I guess that's a a short and not really an answer kind of answer. (laughs) I know at the district level, there there are certainly, there's a viewpoint that needs to be considered for all of the schools in the district. I'm not within the district this year. I was last year. So I know the impact of the school board. I know the impact of superintendent decisions. It's It's very meaningful and it's very impactful.
3: At the district level, something that I'm really been kind of thinking through a lot recently, is just that our students, we had to never lose sight that our students should have choice. There are certain choices that students make or that people make for them in high school that impact the breadth of choices they have after graduation. And I think as counselors, we have to be mindful that we are often gatekeepers to many of those choices. So I've been working a lot on how can we make sure that all choices are honored? Because I think with different types of schools, so I used to work in a very large district that had like 35 high schools. So we had every type of high school you could possibly imagine, rural, urban, suburban, big, little, early college, like typical, like whatever, anything you could think of, we probably had it. And now I'm in a much, much smaller district, but the same is true that um, we often put a lot of emphasis, on our students that are either going four-year college or like very specific vocational, right? Like the things that we offer in the high school, like the, the different certifications you can get in the high school. And then everybody else is just sort of like flopping around trying to figure out what's going on. So I just, I've been thinking a lot about how can we make that conversation more meaningful and how can we honor... I think this current generation that's in high school is really being more, um, they're interrogating what is the purpose of this thing that you have set forth for me. And so we can't lose sight of that at a district level. Like I was at, close your ears, Alicia, I was at an ACT training yesterday yesterday. And um the, <laughs> you know how I feel
2: about standardized
3: the, testing. I know you do, but I still have to know how it works. Yeah. And so there were some people that were there that were just like so negative about kids. And I thought, what they're not in my district. I don't never met them before. I will probably never see them again. But I was just like, What why are you even here? And then I also was having I don't know, I'm rambling now, but I was also having like a conversation with with some students last week about what they were thinking about doing after graduation. And a lot of them really felt like, I don't care. I just want to get out of here. And so we talked a lot about like, as long as you get your high school diploma, you can probably piece together a lot of other options, right? For example, in our state, we have a really great system with the community colleges and our state schools. So if you go to community college and you get a certain grade, you are guaranteed interest in any North Carolina school. That includes UNC Chapel Hill. That includes NC State, like the hard to get in. So like that, these doors are not close to you, but if you don't graduate from high school, it starts to get a lot harder to overcome those obstacles. So like, I feel like that was much more of a val- valuable conversation than just like, either you can go to four-year college, you can't like, and, and who's to say anyway, right? I don't know. i just yeah. been thinking a lot about, has anybody bothered to ask this kid what they want and are interested in doing?
2: Yeah. And it makes such a difference, I think, because, and especially because so many students from K to 12 are often, you know, moved along and they're taught and you move to the next thing and you're taught and you do this and you do that and you come into ninth grade and we give you your schedule. And you do. And by the time they get to 11th and 12th grade and we're like, OK, so what do you want to do? They're like, oh, I guess I got to think and try to figure out. Like,
0: <laughs> I'm just trying to get through exactly. the day.
2: Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, there. They are. They can be very fruitful conversations. Those are some of my favorite conversations with students and helping them understand that they do have options and. One point that I wanted to highlight that Rebecca just made was school counselors being gatekeepers and educators being gatekeepers, because we do hold a lot of power within schools. And, I mean, I know sometimes it might not feel like it in the grand scheme of things, but you know, whether a student gets a certain class or whether or not we rec- recommend a different level or a different type of course- that can really shift a student's options one way or another, and I'll often have conversations with students about um, the courses that they were taking in previous years before we started our individual sessions. And they're like, "Well, nobody ever told me that I could take pre-calculus over the summer so that I can get in calculus my 11th grade year and BC calculus my senior year." Like, nope, I had no idea that that was even an option, right? So I think we've got to get better at that um, and making sure that we're aware of how we are interacting with students so that all students are getting all of the options that they have and that they need to make really good decisions. And being creative about it. Like sometimes you have to kind
3: of think about, oh, well, if we did this thing, that would be much better for you. And I know people have big caseloads, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it takes some creativity. You know, I was talking with a person the other day about a student and she was pretty close to meeting graduation requirements. So she could kind of like overload this semester and graduate in June, or she could go into next year and take that required course she hasn't finished and take a bunch of community college courses through this career and college promise thing that we have that are free and are college credit. And then she would graduate high school with all of these college credits that were free. And I was like, did anybody, I mean, I, you know, I work in central office. I don't know this kid. So did anybody ask her what she wants? Oh, that's a good idea. And I'm like, yeah, like it kind of depends on what her goals are. If she's like got a lot on her plate and she just needs to graduate and figure it out later, then let's, let's give her this extra class so she can be done. If she wants yes, I want to get all the college credits I can get under my belt for literally $0, then maybe that's what she wants to do. And there's literally no way I can answer that for you. Both options have value. Absolutely.
0: This gets me to think about something that Laura and I constantly say, right? We have to move from the process being so transactional Mm -hmm. to it being a little bit more transformational. Mm -hmm. It is hard, right? And, and, And you, but it does take, Knowing
3: not ill intention, trying to help them or teachers. Oh, yeah, not ill intention, but you're like, actually, that is not how that works. And so, if you don't have a counselor who's like keeping up with it and knows what's going on, then that can be a real problem for students because I feel like counselors should be there number one access point for post-secondary planning because as a profession we are called to stay up on what's happening so we can remove barriers if we are sharing that information so that it's no longer like if you know it you mm. have it that we're kind of like putting light on sort of tips and tricks that only certain families know about um, yeah
0: and, and I I I'll, and I'll add that. to that yeah and I'll I'll add. Some of the research also shows that students and families, if they don't trust the adults in the school to provide that information, they're going to seek it from their peers or folks in the community. So
1: it's either You've been very intentional through the center to um, really try to understand the students' voice in this transition time and this processes for students and what they're thinking and it's definitely been very clear. One, yes, they're interrogating all kinds of things and they're they're asking the right questions. They're asking, I'm concerned because I don't want to graduate with debt. I look at family members who went to school, either completed or didn't, that have a significant amount of debt now. That's not what I want. I don't want to ask my family or expect my family to help pay for me to go to college. I'm worried about friends and siblings who went and got a degree and can't get hired in the area that they studied. So I feel like Rebecca, it takes us back to this conversation of maybe in my mind, something I've been thinking is, did we gate, the fact that we were gatekeeping, did we then start to implement programming to try to control for gatekeeping, but we got sidetracked and we we all of a sudden, it was every student needs to apply to a four-year and a two-year. We need to help with FAFSA completion. And we forgot the part the students are begging for now. They want to understand the connection to their future. They want to understand like everything they're doing in their path. Like, where does this lead me? Am I going to have the same opportunity that somebody over here is going to have? And what does that mean, you know, for my experience? And I I think where I want to go in a question here is, Um, We're also hearing from those who are conducting uh, research, thinking about Heather Rowan and Mandy Savitz-Romer's research, where they were really talking to the counselors, right? They were asking them what happened as a result of the pandemic, where were you able to spend your time? And while we're hearing from the students clearly that they want more um, personalized support in er in the areas of both college and career we're hearing from the counselors that the needs are so great for their students, that college and career is way off to the side. Just wonder what both of you, like your thoughts are around that. And what are you seeing, you know, Rebecca in your district and Alicia in your, in your school, like, how are you addressing this in your own, your own practice?
2: So I would say I, since the spring of 2020, honestly, um, when we first shut down the schools, when I was in DC and Maryland, and we shut down schools in March, um, and we started planning lots of virtual iterations of things, um, graduation and virtual get togethers, and then students were debating, do I even go? Do I put put it off a year? Do I take a gap year? Do I stay home alongside or, you know, and that was happening at the same time as many students honestly were losing relatives, like literally in the process of grief and loss. The school where I was last year, we had a a sizable number of families from Eastern Europe. Some of the grief and loss issues, some of the anxieties that students were having, Saw, you know, an increase in number of panic attacks, still seeing it, haven't really changed structurally that much to account for the changes and the experiences and the shifts in our, you know, society and in the world really. So I think that it's continuously unfolding. I know that I have increased the attention to supportive mental health services while I'm helping students identify the things that they're looking for after high school. Right. So whether it's career, whether it's military, whether it's a in my in my community, it's especially four-year institutions. It's now a, more so. It's always been a part of our exploration, but now it's like. A staple. Persevere and, and do all the things. Live up to all the expectations of, you know, going away to college, having their counselor on campus, and figuring it out, and things will be all right. Um, I don't know. I've, I've also been in conversation with, with colleagues on the college side who are saying we recognize we have to do something structurally different around mental health specifically mm, mm-hmm. um, with the students who are coming in each year. And I'm like, yeah, and I hope you know that it's not going to end anytime soon. This is an ongoing, this is an ongoing right. one. And I think that a lot of folks are kind of still struggling to figure it out. A lot of institutions are very much still struggling to figure it out.
3: I think at a district level, we're looking at how can we expand our services so that all of that weight is not on the counselors. And I I don't think that we have a perfect solution, but how can we restructure the support that we give students so that they have multiple access points for the information that they need. So our high schools in both districts that I've worked have CDC's career development coordinators, and they do a lot of the like exploring and thinking through what what is your next plan. Um, They collaborate with the counselors on like college visits and things like that. Um, So that's a little bit of the lift to help students with that career exploration piece. And then we also in the current district where I work, we have mental health specialists and social workers at the high school. Because like Alicia said, like that post-secondary thing is going to come whether we're ready for it or not. And if it doesn't, that's worse, right? Like we want post-secondary to come. We want to graduate and move on. And so we got to do both at the same time. We can't put down one to pick up the other, unfortunately, because life is going to keep marching on. So how can we implement different things at core for SEL to support like our community environment to give kids more tools in their toolbox to respond to the difficulties that they're facing. And also thinking about at core, what we can do to do some of that career exploration. So anytime someone says like, we can't possibly respond to this level of need. My response is almost always going to be change your core, because if the needs have changed that much, then clearly what we're offering at core isn't what's needed anymore. And we need to, to fix it. To shift,
0: yeah. It seems like I'm almost hearing that we need to consider some version of post-secondary wraparound planning and and what does that look like? And I think folks are starting to think about it and consider, but do we have a model or do we have a plan yet? I don't think it's there, but I, I feel like as I'm talking to a lot of individuals doing this work, it's that is what we do need to consider, some kind of like Wraparound process, right? Because there are lots of pieces about students and families that do not go away just because they graduated. That doesn't mean that that trauma, that need, goes away, right? Just because you're in a different campus or in a different environment, that none of that
2: right and goes I think away. That, that is something that I have included, sort of student by student, case by case, in the past, like pre-pandemic. I would have those conversations. I remember having those conversations with a few families about, okay, what is this gonna look like if you're on campus and this happens like what you know creating that safety plan um with the family mm-hmm. now is just across the board, like everybody's thinking about it, whether I know that you have you know you've been diagnosed with something or not or I've seen you upset in my office or not, like everybody's getting it you exactly your core. <laughs> it's so yeah. funny because that happens often. Like, I don't know what the name of the thing is, and I describe it, and Rebecca's like, That's what that is. And I'm like, Yeah, that's right. That's what I've been doing this whole time. <laughs> you got to translate it into exactly. central office.
3: That's a whole
2: right.
0: thing. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank you. And, you know, we'll conclude with asking you both what we ask all of our guests um, at the end of our episodes. If you could share one tip or piece of advice that you would like to share with today's adults who are preparing students for life after high school, what would that be?
2: So I would say one tip that I would suggest is to build out your support network But not just any old support network. Build out a support network that is well informed, and that stays current with trends and research and best practices. Surround yourself with with those um, colleagues, you know, people who also like to have a good time sometimes and want to hang out and just you know talk about casual things. But I think that support network is really, really important. And it's not necessarily something that I was ever taught to do in graduate school, but I think it's, it's really important. And and that should be included when you're, when you're planning um, your professional life.
3: Okay. That was a good one. I think I would say um, you create your timeline. Don't, the rules are fake. Don't worry about other people's timeline for you. Um, At the same time, you have to decide yourself what matters. So whether that's you want to be able to have a job that affords you to do nice things, there's no judgment to that. Like that, I get it. I think a lot of people in education would go, yeah, maybe I should have thought about that. <laughs> um, you know, like my sister picked her college because she wanted to go to a school that had good basketball. Like what's wrong with that? Like you're thinking about your experience that you want her to. Her school was terrible at basketball the four years they were there. It was so sad, but (laughs) normally they are. So like, think about what matters to you because the rules are fake. And what really matters is that you lead the life that you want to lead. And so think that's hard to, you don't have to decide at all when you're 17, but be thinking about it so that you can ignore the rules that aren't working for you and do what you need to do to get where you want to go.
0: This has been College and Career Reimagined with Dr. Owen and Dr. Camillo from the Center for Equity in Post-Secondary Attainment. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to having you join us on the next episode. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, subscribe, or leave us a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook and Instagram at SEPA. You can also contact us at CEPA at SDSU.edu. That's C-E-P-A at SDSU.edu. Till next time.